1: This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by frankenoak.com, where right now you can purchase an outfit, a pair of pants and a shirt, for $65. Head to frankenoak.com slash first time, first dash time. Jen Gerson of the National Post. Hey. In possibly your last pre- childbirth shortcuts appearance.
0: Yeah, uh, after this, apparently it all goes downhill and uh, I become fat and horrible and uh, covered in spit up and baby gook.
1: Listen, it's gonna be awesome. Today we're gonna talk about more bad news from the Toronto Star.
0: Which uh, is very depressing, but unsurprising.
1: And we're gonna talk about the Prime Minister's nipples. Oh, good. Glad to have you back.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Amy H., Michael Hocko, Scott O'Connor, Mark Pedrosa, Sheena Gibbs, Sushayette Bardwaj, Ciara Gaudiak, and Tara Hunt. Tara, why did you decide to be awesome?
0: Because Canada Land makes Canada and the Canadian media just seem
1: sexier. We Canadians still like to rock the boat, but I think that's one of our weaknesses. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is mental health week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. And this episode is brought to you by FrankAndOak.com, the online destination for guys who want to look sharp and shop smart. So Frank and Oak is back as a sponsor of this show, and they are offering what is easily the best first-time offer to new customers that they've ever had. Right now, you can get an outfit, a pair of pants, and a shirt for $65 that usually sells for like 110 bucks and up. So this is well beyond the the 20% discount that they've offered in the past. This is a very good deal. And it's a great way to get started if you're a little bit wary or leery about online shopping for clothes. I was initially not into I had a weird block about buying clothes online. Not because I like shopping retail in stores for clothes. In fact, I kind of hate it, but I don't know. I wouldn't do it until I tried Frank and Oak. Now that block is gone. And I'm very glad that that block is gone because the clothes fit well. They look good. They're well-priced. And I don't have to deal with awkward exchanges with salespeople. I don't have to take my pants off behind a curtain or look at my ass in a mirror in a public place. I, I don't have to shop for clothes in stores anymore because if you don't like what they send you, you just send it back. So once again, this is a very good time to get started with com. For listeners of this podcast, you go to frankandoakcom slash first time. You'll get a $110 out for for 65 bucks. That's Frank and Oak, spell it out, frankandoak.com slash first dash time. Check it out. Jen, the Toronto Star has laid off about 60 people.
0: Yeah, I believe uh, 40 of those more or less are in the newsroom, eh?
1: Yeah, and some of the others are IT workers. And in the newsroom, a lot of them are from the Star Touch tablet team.
0: Let me at first give my uh, condolences to those people who are being laid off. Absolutely no one loves to see anybody get laid off from any competitor. I've always said that whenever people get laid off from other newspapers, that hurts all of us in journalism because that's fewer jobs and more bodies. And, and that's never, never good for any of us.
1: Oh, it's awful. It's depressing. You know, it's depressing for like the 50-year-old journalists who like, you got to wonder what's going to be with them, who lost like unionized jobs. And then as critical as I've been of the Start Touch project, they hired a ton of young journalists, new jobs that didn't exist before. For that alone, it was an optimistic thing and a positive thing. And I think most of those people are now not there anymore. So that sucks.
0: Well, and I think also what's so depressing about... These types of layoffs, particularly in a union shop like The Stars, that increasingly and and almost always you see overwhelmingly these hits affect younger people and people with exactly the sorts of skill sets the newspaper needs going forward. I have incredible sympathy for people who are in their 50s, who've been in this industry for a very, very long time. It's really, really hard for them to change careers midstream. But at the same time... Who are the people who the Toronto Stars and the National Post and all of these legacy media outlets, who are we going to be needing going forward? It's going to be people who are young with a lot of digital skills, programming skills, graphics skills, the sorts of things that frankly aren't really being taught in journalism schools anymore. You know, those are the people that the star brought in to do this tablet project. It's a shame they brought the right people in to do such an ill-conceived project.
1: I mean, it's terrible for the reason for the loss of talent, many of whom I think are probably going to leave the industry. It's also terrible because it's the scorched earth thing that... Unlike a lot of big news organizations that kind of created these little little skunkworks, digital ghettos, like, yeah, we're dabbling in multi-platform strategy, but they never made a real investment to, to have a digital strategy. The Star did that. They did a big project. They put all of their resources into this thing, but it was just a terribly ill-conceived project. And now I think the idea of making a big gamble on a digital project or a digital product is now tainted.
0: It should be tainted you shouldn't have these people making $30 million digital investments because they've demonstrated. I'm not talking about the people who are getting laid off and the people at the bottom. They they served their papers admirably. I'm talking about the people at the top, the managers who made these decisions. They've demonstrated incompetence at this. (laughs) They've demonstrated that they can't be trusted to make $30 million investments in digital plays because they don't have the digital instinct to do it. So let's not cut them that much slack even.
1: Oh, I won't cut them any. I mean, I think that this was uh, an idiotic project from the start based on the fact that everybody in the business seemed to know that the tablet was not a main method of news delivery. It was not the savior of the news business. Everybody seemed to know that by the Toronto Star. The fact that this gamble was made by people who are completely out of touch with the changes in digital news. Uh, The Americans, I mean, the Neiman Lab at Harvard was looking at this like, what are you guys doing up there? So I, I don't make any excuses for this particular folly. But I do think that for some of these organizations, a $30 million push into actually recreating themselves as a digital news operation is not a crazy idea in and of itself. It just depends on what that plan is.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. But as I said, the people who are at the top right now clearly can't be trusted to make those decisions.
1: Oh yeah. nobody's Nobody's been held responsible. And listen to the way they phrase this. This is what would piss me off if I were one of those whose heads rolled. This is David Holland, the acting publisher of the Toronto Star since Crookshank left. Crookshank was the guy who was the publisher when Star Touch was launched. And, uh, you know, he kind of retired somewhat quietly as this was being engulfed in flames. So David Holland wrote in the memo announcing the layoffs, We are committed to continuing to adapt our operations, while at the same time making the necessary investments to position ourselves as a multi-platform and increasingly digitally focused Organization. How the hell do you lay off your IT workers and a huge chunk of your staff from your main digital product and sell that as an investment in becoming a digitally focused organization? He continues here. These changes are another important step in the star's strategic evolution along a path towards the multi-platform news media organization of the future. Barf. Isn't that disgusting? And I know that that's the language of corporations when they when they lay off. Wouldn't it be so refreshing to say, "We really made a mistake with this Star Touch."
0: Yeah, but they're not admitting they made a mistake. They're they're still committing to Star Touch. They're still pretending like this is not a failure. They're still maintaining a staff of I think what 26 on a product that has 60,000 regular readers in a city of 3 million, and they're still pretending like this is going to be some core feature going forward it's gotta be PR like, and if you're one of those 20 people la- I mean, there's no way in a year that that product is employing more than 5 to 10 people, T.O.P.S. And even that's being optimistic.
1: Yeah, they'll just quietly shutter it or or, or kind of shunt it to the side.
0: Exactly. This has got to be a part of a quiet, shuttering, quiet um, roll-down effort. I don't see, I mean, maybe I don't have the numbers. Maybe they're still charging an extraordinary premium on advertising dollars for this product through claims of some kind of magic demographic soup, but they're not admitting their mistake they're not saying this didn't work and we're putting a bullet in it and you know we're going to redirect our funds elsewhere and we're going to take the remaining staff and and reposition them in other digital spaces in the newsroom where we think they can do the most good which is what they need to do they're refusing to just own the fact that they screwed up and that's what i just find frustrating about this
1: i think the reason is because that would mean that people like michael cook would have to step down this is the time on our show when we thank our second sponsor, Casper Mattresses. Jen, you're always on the show when Casper is our sponsor and I, I just think you're about to have a kid. It all, it all makes sense. The universe is making this happen because uh, it really matters. The quality of your sleep situation when you got a newborn And I recommend this. We've had our Casper mattress for a while. I am very fond of it. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Combining springy latex and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. It is an award-winning mattress, Jen. I didn't take it seriously when people said, oh, you're going to have a kid. Get your sleep now. I thought, like, what a bunch of whiners. Like, I've done all-nighters before. What I didn't really appreciate is the torturous effect of night after night of not getting adequate sleep. Thanks, Jesse. This is really helpful. This is the most (laughs) depressing fact to include, but I'm including it within a mattress commercial so it makes sense. Because the little sleep you do get should be good and deep sleep which it will be if you have a Casper mattress, which you can try out for free, Jen, for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything. It's made in America, free shipping and returns. If you go to casper.com slash Canada Land, you will get 50 bucks off of your first mattress purchase. Use the offer code Canada Land. Go to casper.com slash Canada Land. Jen, it's time for Duly Noted. What have you uh, duly noted for us this week?
0: I have to give my love to my weird and hilarious co-worker, Tristan Hopper, who is running for Senate and wrote a lengthy story about the process involved in running for Senate, accompanied by a poorly white balanced photo of him in a vest in his kitchen looking regal and senatorial. So uh, I have to give him love for that. It's just a fun little piece. And, and I think you should check
1: it out. That was very economical, and I think that Tristan Hopper often does very funny and interesting stuff for you guys. I'm going to be less economical. Jen, I need to tell you a Twitter story. Will you in- indulge me?
0: Let's go. Let's talk internal baseball on Twitter. Let's make that happen.
1: And I just want to preface this by saying that I don't imagine this to be a story in which I behave particularly well or look particularly good.
0: It was shocking. I'm shocked.
1: Okay, so this begins with my awareness of BuzzFeed as as what they do and and how they make money. And and BuzzFeed, of course, will sort of like have, you know, here's 22 cute dogs. Here are 23 seahorses that look like celebrities. And then they'll say, here are 32 reasons why Doritos are awesome. And the third one was paid for by Doritos. That's how they do, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew that one of those paid clients of theirs is the CBC, because they had at least one story, I think a couple. One of them was called 22 CBC Shows That Every Canadian Needs In Their Life. It's not attributed to a person, it's attributed to love CBC. And then it says brand publisher. I think that they really wanted to make it clear. They would just say sponsored by the CBC or this is an advertisement. Instead, they use this language brand publisher, love CBC, which I would argue is purposefully a little bit mysterious, but it's clear enough. I suppose I know what that is. And I know that that was paid for by the CBC. So that's the context under which my colleague, Kevin Sexton, who was producing the show and sitting beside me right now the other day, he says, look at this. Is this sponsored or not? And he sends me the link, and it's a BuzzFeed story, and the title is, 19 Times Schitt's Creek Was the Best Canadian Show on TV. So, Jen, I just assume, as Kevin did, that 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 sounds very much like the sponsored uh, story that uh, had preceded it. Right. But it was not attributed to Love CBC. It was attributed to Kat Angus, who writes those types of lists and fun, shareable things for BuzzFeed Canada. And... I shot off a tweet and, you know, if I'm, if I'm actually investigating a story or reporting something, I'll I'll typically do it via email, but this was just kind of like a quick fact check. I thought that they had just misidentified a piece of sponsored content. And I shot off a tweet to both Craig Silverman, who's the editor in chief of BuzzFeed Canada and to Kat Angus, the author of that. And I, and I said, I said, Hey, Craig and Kat, this is sponsored, right? And Kat got back to me. I'm going to try to get hers right, but she's since deleted her tweets. She got back to me and she said, no it's not sponsored. I just like that show a lot. And then Craig got back and said, nope, totally not sponsored. And this is where I probably could have phrased things differently. I said, "Uh, okay, gotcha. But have you ever done one of these for a show that isn't from a Buzzfeed client? I kind of realized that that could be read as like a bit of a charge of a suggestion. So I, I said, honest question, you may well have. And... I think to summarize the avalanche of responses I got from Buzzfeed's like almost their entire Canadian staff.
0: It got pretty. It got pretty sensitive. <laughs> People got very sensitive
1: about it. I think the response from Buzzfeed was, "How dare you, sir? How dare you?" Uh, Paul McLeod wrote, "This is a seriously bizarre and inappropriate insinuation to throw out based on nothing, Jesse." Sachi wrote, uh, Sachi Cole, of course, a friend of Canada land and an editor and essayist at BuzzFeed wrote, Jesse, my dude, no one is obligated to answer your dumb fucking questions, which I thought was a strange thing for a journalist to to write. She also called me a messy queen, which admittedly is is pretty funny. Scott DeVoe, who is not a BuzzFeed staffer, but uh, is a journalist at Bloomberg and is, I believe, uh, Sachi's partner. He wrote, when was the last time Jesse Brown beat his wife?
0: When was the last time? (laughs) I mean, you could just answer the question. I don't understand. I could just just, answer
1: the damn question if I've got nothing to hide. Ishmael Darrow. Ishmael Darrow, a friend of of Canada Land, he tweeted a series of snake (laughs) emojis. And I don't know what the kids mean. (laughs) I've made mistakes before around the meaning of of a purple eggplant. (laughs) We're
0: talking. A snake emoji. Okay. All right. No, I'm I'm composed. Let's let's we're serious. I'm people. serious. I am very we're serious. So, we're serious. Okay. They they Look, they really. This is why you have no friends,
1: Jesse. I'm sorry, <laughs> Jen. You know me. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I don't mean no harm.
0: <laughs> Look, I mean, so there's a couple of things here. One, yeah, you you kind of insinuated a little bit. BuzzFeed got uppity, and the whole thing devolved into a weird little piss fight on Twitter. All of you look bad. <laughs> BuzzFeed just looks silly and kind of petty, and, and in the future, you probably will be a little bit more careful about your phrasing. Look, I, if I have to take shit two times a week for the fact that I'm another white person on the na- working at the National Post, I accept that shit. That's fair shit for me to take. But if you're BuzzFeed, guess what? You might have to take some shit for the fact that you run some dodgy sponsored content. I mean, that's just what it is. And, you know, I think that as a journalist, it's incumbent on all of us to be able to take some of the deserved shit with a little bit of good humor and good grace. And generally not let every single thing that Jesse Brown tweets turn into... A self defeating little shit fit.
1: I think that's very sober of you. I think that's very when
0: Omer came on your came on your show and basically said that uh, everybody at Post Media looked like you know an overgrown Mormon. I think I tweeted something to the effect of you know knock-knock, have you heard the word of our good lord and savior, Paul Godfrey? You know, I mean, like, you have a brand, and that brand is media criticism, and as a result, you're going to throw out a couple of bombs on Twitter every now and again. That's part of who you are and what your brand is. And if BuzzFeed wants to be taken seriously as a serious journalistic outfit, and maybe they don't I, don't, I don't know, I don't care, they have to be able to handle your occasional tweets um, with a bit of maturity. But that being said, I mean, we all enjoy watching these little slap fights. They're very amusing for all of us. And to be honest, nobody outside of Canadian media gives a shit
1: anyway. I know. And I know that this is ridiculous because to anybody outside, it's like, this is all about like, you've besmirched the good name of Buzzfeed. And it's like, I I know there are serious people doing good work there. I've said that a lot of times. I get it. I get it. If you write like fun, shareable content about dogs' butts that look like other things, and all of a sudden, Jesse Brown is like insinuating that you're corrupt, like, That's serious, and all of your colleagues come to your defense, and I think that they were trying to help out a colleague. I get that, but I also think you can't cry so foul if your whole business model is about basically blurring the line between what's paid for and what isn't. So I will apologize to Cat Angus for the the salty tone, and uh, you know that that's that's a question that should have been asked in private. But I'll also say when I'm like, have you ever done a list like this for somebody who isn't a BuzzFeed client? And I, I don't recall if it was her, and again she deleted the tweet, so I can't check, or somebody else. But they pointed to a list of corner gas moments wonderful moments from corner gas that cat angus loved saying like here i do this about shows that i like not because they buy advertising space on on buzzfeed and then we found that ctv actually has been a buzzfeed sponsor jesse
0: Jesse, we're not talking about this anymore what i'm trying to say is
1: that i'm sorry and i'm right
0: duly noted stop talking
1: jen now is the time on this program when i would like to discuss the prime minister's nipples
0: Oh good. Excellent. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. That doesn't make me feel uncomfortable or
1: awkward at all. Um we've been seeing a lot of them this summer?
0: Yes. And can I be perfectly honest with you? I mean, maybe it's just my my personal taste. I feel like disclosure requires that I admit that I don't find Justin Trudeau very hot. My husband is a large, hairy, beefy man who looks like a warmed-over narc, and I like him that way.
1: You like bears.
0: I like my bears. That's what I'm saying.
1: God bless you. Like, there seems to be this sort of consensus reality that everybody just has to accept. Even Vice, this is Drew Brown writing in Vice, Justin Trudeau is an objectively beautiful man. And I get that he is, like, symmetrical and fit and the hair is nice and wavy and full and all of these things, but he just looks, to me... You know, if I were into dudes, the kind of like twink look the hairless baby cheeked boy band thing he he doesn 't seem like a sexual creature to me. he looks pretty,
0: yes, and actually this is this is how I got roped into actually writing a column about this instead of writing about the influence of money in politics yesterday, true story because I was chatting about this with my editor over Slack. And just saying he reminds me of the type of man that you you get a crush on when you're in middle school, when you still find the prospect of sex to be a little bit scary. So you you tend to gravitate toward sort of less threatening uh, more feminine-looking, um, stereotypically beautiful young men like Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I remember back when I was, you know, in my Tiger Beat days, it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And it seems like these types of men, whether it's you're talking Robert Pattinson and the Twilight Mom phenomenon or Justin Trudeau, they seem to um, generate this kind of uncomfortable, over-the-top, squealing female fandom. For me, that's a huge disconnect, because I grew out of that phase, and, and now I like hairy manly men, <laughs> and I guess that was the the weird disconnect for me. Where this is relevant politically, because, I mean, let's be <laughs> honest, my own personal sexual tastes are not relevant to this, is if you watch the way Justin Trudeau crafts his brand and his persona, he is an excellent performer. Everything that he does, you have to assume, is very calculated, and he's trying to portray an image, and he's doing it for a reason. It's it's purposeful. You know, he is trying to craft the image of someone who has that kind of Robert Pattinson, Twilight Mom, squealy at the sidelines, faint over his abs appeal. Why is he doing that right now when the jobs numbers are down and the loonies tanked? What is the political play there? What is the political stratagem? Trudeau is is, is very, very good at sort of creating these images or these memes that then go viral on social media, get picked up by the international media, and then have to be reported on and commented on domestically. It is a purposeful strategy. And I think that people need to be conscious of that strategy.
1: Now, some people are going to say that that's just crazy conspiracy talk, and I actually think you're right, but I interpreted it a little bit differently. I forget who it was, but somebody actually breaked it down and, and noticed that the PMO was introducing into public conversation a new meme every day. Yep. And that's that's not a big conspiracy. That's just like, that's somebody's job. That's marketing. That's just marketing, right? So it's not like, oh shit, the job numbers, we were supposed to create 30,000 jobs. Instead, we lost 10,000. Take off your shirt, Justin. Pop out of a wedding cake. I agree with you. Like it
0: probably isn't quite that direct, but it's part of this like continuous effort to make this prime minister viral meme worthy and attractive, especially to young and especially middle-aged women as well, right? I mean, that's that's who this
1: is appealing to. And whatever the intentionality, those stories do drown out everything else. His nipples are very distracting. They're distracting us from more than the job numbers, the economic information. I've talked a lot about the Globe's investigation into the Saudi arms deal and everything that's come out there. We've been totally distracted from that. David Aiken has been doing work into how scientists under Trudeau are actually... The muzzles are still in place. The numbers of scientists in Environment Canada are actually down. There's all sorts of stuff that contradicts the Trudeau image that we're not talking about. And I want to delve a little bit into a very touchy area here. The Hunter Tutu thing didn't really scathe Trudeau, right? Uh-huh. There's always this sort of tension between the press's respect of the private lives of elected officials— with what line the elected officials themselves create as to what access, you know, if you're going to use your private life for political gain, if you're going to sexualize yourself, then things become fair game that weren't fair game before to talk about.
0: Oh, are we dipping our toe into this water?
1: Will you come with me into this, into this puddle?
0: All right, let's, let's go. Let's tip this toe into this water. Look, we have rules in Canada, a certain gentleman's agreements between media and Canada that does not exist in the U.S. or the U.K., and journalists would never accept in the U.S. and U.K. in the degree to which we do not cover politicians' private lives, even when those private lives are clearly in the public interest. Right. We have been very, very reticent. I don't think that that's a mystery. It's not a conspiracy. That is just a well-known fact. We've all kind of agreed that private lives are private and that, you know, as journalists, we would rather be prioritizing our resources and attention on more substantive things. Every journalist who covers politics is is aware of dodgy personal stories and rumors that, you know, not only do we not report, but frankly, I don't even think we pursue very, very strongly.
1: Unless the politician, so it's, you know, Trudeau in his book wrote that, you know, his marriage had ups and downs. So he sort of brought up the topic. Sure. Then Evan Solomon asks him, is that coded language for extramarital affairs? And he said, no, many people took that to be a denial that there were extramarital affairs. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau was asked point blank at one point, if there were extramarital affairs and she said well no marriage is perfect and so you can interpret that how you may i don't necessarily care unless there's stuff going on there that is of political resonance or or interest
0: and if toto is is for example having an affair with a staffer which i think we can all agree is blatantly inappropriate and an abuse of power you know i think that we have to draw a distinction between an extramarital affair on the side an extramarital affair that happens within the political sphere. Those are very different conversations. One is very clearly in the public interest and and one is not. So, I mean, I don't think that the rules by which we have sustained this gentleman's agreement are sustainable. I think they are inevitably going to come down. It's a question of who's going to take that first shot. Um, I think with the rise of things like the rebel and other types of a hyper-partisan media outlets. It's just not going to work.
1: Do you think that the Hunter Tutu story fits into this at all? And to remind people, Hunter Tutu, the sole MP from Nunavut, the fisheries minister, resigned from cabinet amid rumors, constant media requests uh, he w- were met with kind of a standoffish resistance from Hunter Tutu at first. To Laura Stone, he said, we will not be granting you any interviews or responding to your requests or anyone's. And we also read in the Globe that Justin Trudeau himself, and what, why I'm drawing a connection here, privately told his caucus not to believe the swirling rumors about Hunter Tutu's resignation as fisheries minister. Hunter Tutu also initially tweeted after it came out First, there was no information, then it had to do with him, something had happened at an event, and then it came out that he was leaving to deal with his alcoholism. Then it came out that there was a consensual but inappropriate relationship. And he tweeted that he voluntarily told the prime minister's office about the consensual relationship, was asked to keep it private.
0: So here's the thing. A lot of people suffer from alcoholism. They take breaks, they come back that's fine. An inappropriate but consensual affair with a staffer and I think the rumors have it that the staffer was his direct subordinate is unequivocally inappropriate. I don't think in 2016 that anybody would really dispute that at this point. That being said, relationships in every office do happen, which is why most corporate environments and most I think government environments have rules about disclosure and dealing with that type of a situation in an open and honest way. If Tutu goes to the PMOS, which is essentially his boss, and says, I have this relationship, I need guidance on how to deal with it, and that was properly disclosed, and maybe the staffer was moved to another equal job where she wasn't directly reporting to him, that strikes me as the appropriate way to handle that kind of a situation. So if the Prime Minister's office instead said, no, hush, hush, keep that quiet... Don't report on that, and then later threw that MP under the bus. That's on the Prime Minister's office. That's actually their bad. Then now, but that being said, we don't have the details of this enough details in this to really cast a lot of judgment. But I do think that if you're gonna throw a PM, or sorry, an um, 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 MP under the bus for that kind of conduct, then you're right. That does open the door for scrutiny of other similar types of conduct.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the details are. The facts are, rather. Uh, Tutu later clarified or walked back his tweet and said that it was the woman who asked him to keep it quiet, not the PMO. But the Globe did report that it was Trudeau who told his caucus not to believe the swirling rumors, which all turned out to be true. The hostility that Hunter Tutu had for all the journalists asking him questions, I think, was really misplaced, given that they were on the right track. And ultimately, that all came out. When it came out, he said, oh, it's it's my constituents that I'm disclosing this on their behalf, not because not, not of the press. So it's always easy to blame the press. I think that the subtle dynamics of, well, is it your direct subordinate or is it somebody who's junior to you within the organization? We have to consider the possibility the prime minister does not want us to be having these conversations in too much detail. And I think he would rather be popping out of caves and photobombing weddings with his shirt off if he had a choice between those two realities.
0: Um, I don't know. It's easy to talk about rumors. It's difficult to prove rumors. So until you can prove a rumor, there's nothing more to add. However, you know, I, I, I do think that that is a line of inquiry that deserves to be examined and it, and it deserves some scrutiny. And I think that, as I said, gentlemen's agreement that has really prevented us from pursuing a lot of that stuff traditionally, less and less lately, but traditionally, I think that's completely breaking down.
1: Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Thank you. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I can be emailed at Jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. And we are on Twitter at Canada Land. Jen, where can people find you?
0: At Jen Gerson on Twitter. That's probably the best place.
1: Our website is canadalandshow.com and our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash The producer of the show is Kevin Sexton. Syndication of Canada Land to campus and community radio stations across this country for free is handled by Russell Gregg. The next episode of Canada Land is up on Monday. Shortcuts is off next week, but The Impostor will be back next Wednesday. If you like what we do, please support us.